Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We're glad you're here today. Hey, if you got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to end up in Matthew chapter 20. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, just so you know, I was a little bit tempted um, because of the events of Friday to radically change my message. And um, I was actually planning to address that, you know, none of us really knew when the decision uh, from the Supreme Court was going to come down. Um, and so I made the decision, uh, I'm just going to wait and deal with this closer to the celebration of the birth of our nation because this has so much impact um, on our nation. And uh, there is a pathway that I believe God wants his followers to walk this out. And I want to talk about that some next week. This week I'm going to stick with where I felt like the Lord took me. Um, and he took me there because of VBS. Uh, if you have never had the joy of experiencing some components of VBS, you're missing a, a very, very incredibly great blessing. And I would encourage you maybe now to begin thinking about how could I engage if I've never supported, participated in, done anything related to VBS, what could I do maybe next year? And here's, here's a real way to make sure you step into that. Why don't you go ahead and contact Michelle this week and say, I want in next year. Just put my name down, you know, for next year already, okay? Um, you know, as you've heard from Michelle, the Lord blessed this week. It was an incredible week. He did a, just some incredible things. And I want us to go back to the central theme that that, that precious little child shared from memory. Uh, I want us to go to that, and I want us to look at it together uh, this morning. In fact... I want us to read it together. Are we working? Yeah, we're working in this service. I want us to read it together with, with full voice. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, I want you to read it full voice. Here, you ready? Here we go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that is an incredible verse. Now, that word that is translated into English, uh, workmanship here, is from the Greek word poema. Any idea what English word we also get from that word? Poem. Poem. Which is a work of art. Another way to translate that word is masterpiece. Masterpiece. And the New Living Translation translates it that way. And so I want you to read the New Living Translation in full voice with me again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You are a masterpiece in the sight of God. The, the vision that he had when he designed you in his mind, that, that was kind of the working theme throughout VBS this year, is that God designed you, and then he created you, and now in this life he is empowering you to be that creation that he designed. That's what, that's what God is up to, but here's the, here's the sad part. You can miss that. You can miss it. It's not guaranteed. It's not automatic. It's going to happen if you don't pursue that. See, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has some good work for you to do. It's good for you, and the work that he has for you to do is good for the world. It's, it's, it's all good. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God, God had these things in mind as he was designing you. In his mind, before he ever created you, he was designing you. He was designing these good works for you to engage in. And again, it's not automatic. You can be born, you can live your entire life and completely miss the life you were meant to live. Because you and I must choose to live out the will of God for us. See, God plans your life. 
And his plan is that you would be this incredible, beautiful masterpiece that he's meant for you. But here's, here's the deal, friends. We can mar that masterpiece. We can mar the masterpiece that is supposed to be us. And I want to talk this morning about what I think of as the greatest choice we make that mars God's masterpiece in us. And it's just one word. It's the word envy. When you envy somebody else, you, you, you want what they have, you want what they are, how they look, how, how they feel, what they, what they do with their lives. When you envy, you are so fixated on others that you, you, can't, you can't think about your own life. When you're thinking about what, what they have and you don't and what they are and, and you're not, that you totally, you'll totally completely miss the masterpiece that God designed for you. It's the greatest barrier that I know of, this, this envy. See, God's word uses some other words interchangeably. So when you're reading the Bible, when you see the word jealously, you could insert envy. You could also insert another word, mostly used in the Old Testament. It's the word covet. Anybody got a context for that word covet? Last of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not, say it with me, covet. You could, you could pull covet out and say, thou shalt not envy. And it would be the very, very same thing. And, and see, we're not to envy other people. Not to envy how they live, or their jobs, or their clothes, or their wealth, or their looks, or their health, or anything in their life. See, envy... Envy itself is universally destructive. You can see envy being lived out in every culture on the planet and in every age group. Envy exists in toddlers and tyrants. Envy, you can see envy at work in playrooms and boardrooms. That's just what envy does. It, 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 it is all over the place. You can find it anywhere. You can find it in our schools, you can find it in our workplaces, you can find it in our universities, you can find it in athletics, you can find it in politics, in neighborhoods, in churches. You can find envy, envy everywhere. And uh, I, I, it's, you see it and you want it for yourself and you don't want that other person to have it. You want it so badly. Now in a moment we're going to look at a parable which is a story that Jesus tells with a powerful point. We're going to be in Matthew 20 in just a moment. Before we get there, I want us to think of some biblical ways that the Bible communicates that envy can mangle the masterpiece that is you. Because envy will mangle it. And one of, one of the things you need to remember about envy, envy can be very unseen, especially in our culture. And we'll talk about why in a minute. See, there are other things that you can see. Real, it, you commit adultery, you, you know, you see it. You know, it's, it's real easy to spot. An addiction, it, it, real easy to spot. A lot of other things. Envy is subtle. Envy is, is hidden. And we don't often realize how much envy devalues other people. And how it ultimately damages relationship and actually destroys any possibility you have for happiness. Making you miserable. Because you're missing God's plan for your life. Somebody else's. Your, your life. Here's the first way that I see from the scriptures that uh, envy can mangle God's masterpiece in you. It's by denying my uniqueness. When I deny my uniqueness, see the Bible clearly, clearly communicates that God uniquely designed you. Humanity may make clones. God doesn't make a clone. No two snowflakes are exactly alike. No two human beings, even identical twins are not identical. No two human beings have the same fingerprints, the same voice print, the same heartbeat. We're all very, very unique. There's nobody in the universe like you. You know, have you ever heard the saying, when God made you, he broke the mold? You know, usually that's a put down when somebody says that to you. 
The truth is, it's a biblical precept. God did not make anybody else to be you or anybody else like you. You're uniquely shaped by God. You're wonderful, marvelous workmanship. You're his masterpiece. God wants you to know that. And he, he was intricately involved. Some people think, you know, just, you just kind of got here because you're mom and dad. Listen to the word of God. Psalms 139. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Your workmanship is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, if you ever are looking for a passage of Scripture that clearly, clearly communicates that God is there at your conception, at work in you, that life begins there, Psalm 139. Very, very, very clear. And see, abortion short-circuits God's plan for one of his masterpieces. God said, I planned out your life. I have this beautiful plan for what your masterpiece life would look like. You're uniquely planned by me, God says. But the moment you begin to envy you start denying your own uniqueness. Have you ever heard somebody say, love is blind? Well, it may be, but it's not as blind as envy. See, envy blinds you to how God uniquely designed you. It blinds you to your giftedness. It blinds you to your abilities. It blinds you to your uniqueness. It blinds you to who you really are, beautiful in the sight of God. How nobody else in the universe will ever be like you. Friends, when you get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you why you aren't more like your brother or your sister or one of your parents or a neighbor or somebody to go to school with. He's going to ask you, why, why weren't you more like, like you? Like the you I, I dreamed of. Why do you always want to be somebody else? If I wanted you to be somebody else, I'd have made you that way. But I made you with your gifts. And I allowed the challenges that have come into your life to come into your life. I, I allowed the, the imperfections. And I did it because I have this beautiful image of the masterpiece that you are. You know, we, we live in a day where Everybody wants everything, especially their lives, to be, to be relevant. You know, we all want to be relevant. We want our churches to be relevant. Friends, when you try to be somebody else, somebody other than you, guess what you become? You are now irrelevant. You're unnecessary if you try to become somebody else. When you start envying, you know, start saying, I wish I was someone else. The other thing you're doing that you may not realize is you're insulting God. Envy is an insult to the creator of the universe, the creator of you. It's, a, it's an insult to him. You're basically saying, God, with me, you messed up. You, you didn't get it right. God, something was a little off that day. You know, maybe you had a bad burrito. I don't know. But God, you, you just kind of messed up. Every time we envy, we are ultimately shaking our fist at God, saying, why'd you make me this way? Why didn't you make me like that? And God wants you to hear him say, hold on, wait a minute, slow your roll. You're a masterpiece. You're wonderful the way I created you. I have a plan for you. It's beautiful, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful part of, of what I have planned for this world. You're exactly what I made you to be. You're just blind to it because of envy. Envy mangles the masterpiece that's you, the unique you. Romans 9.20 says this, Who are you to criticize God? Should the thing made say to the one who made it, Why have you made me like this? You might say, but Joe... I have this disability. Can I get to tell you, tell you a secret? Everybody in here is disabled. We all have disabilities. Emotional, physical, 
spiritual, financial, relational. We have all kinds of disabilities because we live on an earth that is broken. It's, it's not perfect yet on this, this planet. And you know what envy does? Envy always exaggerates. If you think of envy as a magnifying glass, when you put it on somebody else's life, it exaggerates their bountifulness. And when you turn it around and look at yourself through that magnifying glass, it exaggerates your pitifulness. That's what it does. It lies to you. You ever been in the house of mirrors at the fair? The distortions that happen? That's what envy does. Envy, envy distorts. It blinds you to who you, you really, really are. Second thing that envy does to mangle God's masterpiece in you is it does it by dividing your attention. By dividing your attention. So you can't follow God's purpose your life for your life while you're focusing on somebody else's. You can't chase two rabbits. See, when you envy, you're not looking at the life you were meant to live. You're looking at everybody else living. And you're saying, I want to be like them. I want what she has or, or he has. And you get divided in your allegiances. And when that happens, you never get anything accomplished in your life. Nothing gets accomplished that way. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. No one, no one. I know you think you're the exception. But Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the, the, the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't. Did you notice what Jesus said? You cannot. Can't happen. You can't have two gods in your life. You can't have two primary goals in your life. It, you, it can't happen. And so you got to decide, what's going to be the main thing for me? What's, what's going to be the main goal for me? Is it to please God who made me? Or is it going to be to please others or, or try to please my, myself or this false image I have of myself? See, when I try to please God and something else, I create a divide in my allegiance. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. One of the ways that you may discover that envy is at work, set up residence in your soul, is when you're serving at church, you, you never feel like you fit. And it may be because what you're doing is busy looking around at everybody else's servings, thinking, I'd rather do that, I'd rather do that. You won't fit that way. It, it'll feel like you don't fit in, in the kingdom of God. God made you to be a masterpiece, to uniquely serve him in the, in the body of Christ. So don't, don't miss it. He doesn't have this plan that you would be like everybody else. But we tend to, to move that way. But please, that's not the life that God is ultimately going to reward. Eternally, God is planning to reward you based upon how well you live the you he made you to be. Part of your eternal reward is tied up in that. And you'll never uh, grab hold of all your eternal reward if you're busy having your attention divided here. You know? And because I don't want you tracking me down in heaven, coming to me and say, hey, Pastor Joe, why don't you tell me about this reward stuff? Consider yourself told. Okay? It is related to who God made you uniquely, and you need to know who that is. And friends, this, 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 this is crazy, crazy important in the world in which we live. Envy is a little bit different from the seven deadly sins in our day because envy in our culture is a marketing tool. It's just, it's a marketing tool. You know, it's billboards. Try to get you to think, oh, I need that. I got to be like that person. You know, it's, it's the magazines that come in our homes. It's the, the, the media that's beamed in electronically in our homes. It's the reality TV that's not real. Do you really, really need to know what's going on in the Kardashians' lives? <laughs> I mean, really, come on. Yeah. See, every moment that you spend envying somebody else is a moment that you're wasting your life, the life God gave you. 
The life God said was beautiful. The life you're never going to live anyway. You can't live the other life. It's impossible. Never going to happen. Envy also mangled God's masterpiece in me by causing me to waste my resources. Precious resources. You know, I I was just touching on that a little bit. I'm not going to dive in too deep here. But envy wastes two of your most precious resources. Time and energy. Time and energy. Envy is also a great enemy of rest. Because the Bible says envy is actually one of the things that leads to workaholism. Notice this in Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the Bible says, wisest man that lived. In verses 4 and and 8 in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon says, I've also learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. But it is useless. And then he gives an illustration of somebody who is single with no heirs. He says, here is someone who lives alone. He has no son, no brother, yet he's always working, never satisfied with the wealth he has. For whom is he working so hard? And denying himself any pleasure. This is useless too. And a miserable way to live. That's the Bible's gentle way of saying. You dumb man. You live in that way. You're just dumb. You're empty. You're, you're, You're foolish. See friends envy infects us. It's a miserable way to live. Because it robs us of joy. A fourth way that envy mangles God's masterpiece in me is by multiplying sin. It can multiply the sins in my life. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but the Bible tells us that envy is a root towards every other sin. I see it, and I want it. I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. And I want you to be hurt, maybe, because you have it. I like to think of it this way. Envy is a gateway sin. You heard of gateway drugs? Envy is a gateway sin. It can destroy everything in you and everyone around you. Again, it may be the last of the Ten Commandments, but it is not the least. Jesus' half-brother James was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Can envy lead a person to lie? Can envy lead a person to steal? Can envy lead a person to kill? You know, the Bible's full of those examples. Cain, I mean, you don't go far in the Bible. Just a few chapters. Cain kills his brother Abel because of envy. Joseph's brothers throw him in a pit to sell him into slavery because of envy. Saul tried to kill David multiple times and even his own son Jonathan once because of envy. Did you know that Jesus, when he was standing with Pilate, the Bible says, he realized that it was because of the envy of the Pharisees that he had been handed over to Pilate. Out of envy. Envy leads us down a path. It takes you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will suck more out of your life than you ever intended to give it. It will, it will destroy you. So how do, how do you give envy an eviction notice? If envy has set up shop, set up home in your heart, how do you get it out of there? Well, Jesus is in this incredible parable uh, in Matthew chapter 20, points this out. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. You may just want to follow along on the screen. I want to read um, out of New Living Translation uh, this morning this parable from Jesus. And remember, a parable has a powerful point. Okay, that's what a parable does. It's a powerful point. And so Jesus starts out for the kingdom of heaven. So this is a parable about, with a powerful point about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. 
At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in his vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again. He saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because nobody hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers, that last group that call, got called, in at five, called to work at 5 o'clock. Go, go pay them first. Verse 9, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, notice what happened. They assumed they would receive more money, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and and go. I want it to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And then here's the powerful point. So those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. This is the word of, of the Lord. And I, I pray, just stick with me here for a minute. This parable is filled, 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 filled with kingdom truths. But I've only got a little bit of time to unpack uh, parts of it. I can't do the whole thing. But I, I want us to look at it from the angle that Jesus is talking about. And that is, why are you envious when God is generous with others? So here's what Jesus does. He gives us some examples here and and really four things that if you want to eradicate envy, four things that you need to be engaging in your life to eradicate envy. First one is this. If I want to eradicate envy, um, I I need to refuse to compare myself to others. I just need to say it's not going to happen. And friends, that, that really is the starting point. Don't compare yourself to others. Comparing yourself to somebody else is the root of all envy. It's just, it's the root of it. If you can get rid of this comparison game, you will really, you'll stab envy in its heart. Because every time you compare yourself, you are setting yourself up for envy to make its home in your heart. And Jesus says here, you don't have to compare. Never compare yourself. Look at, look at uh, this uh, parable again. He says, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. They, they received what they had agreed to. The, the, the owner was fair. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. So this group that came in last, you know, got paid first. They got a full day's wage. These other guys come in and they're thinking, Man, we hit the jackpot. These guys over here worked an hour. They got a full day's wage. We, we probably worked, you know, 10 times as much. So they were spending it. Already they, they, they had it in mind. They saw what the other people were getting. They assumed, they compared, and they shouldn't have been watching. They shouldn't have compared themselves. Anytime you do that, you're setting yourself up for envy. One of the things about envy, envy is kind of like our national pastime. You know what our national pastime is? Baseball, right? Baseball keeps statistics on everything. Because everybody wants to be the best at something. So they make enough statistics so everybody gets to be, you know, best at something. I don't think that's really why. But anyway, but they keep statistics on everything. That's what envy does. Envy keeps statistics. You're constantly comparing yourself, comparing everything. People do it all the time. How they look. Their shape, their, their, their size, skin color, how we talk, our intelligence. People compare their families, compare their kids and their spouses, their jobs and their cars and their grass. I mean, people compare those things. I mean, just think about it. We compare everything. And God warns us about the foolishness of comparing ourselves. You know, 
You can't be that other person because God made you unique. You know, this comparison thing, you know, it's kind of like trying to compare submarines and tangerines. They, they sound alike, don't they? They're very different. I can prove it to you. If one of them was going to have to get dropped on your head, which one do you want? There's a big difference between a submarine and, and a tangerine. But you're different too. You're not like anybody else. But every time you compare yourself, God says it's foolish. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Paul writes, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. There were people that were just commending themselves. You know, they're just constantly, Paul says, I'm not getting caught up in that. They are not wise. It's foolish to do this. It's just, it's foolish. See, every time you compare yourself to somebody else, you are setting yourself up for misery. Galatians 6, chapter 4 says, let everyone be sure that he is doing his very best. For then... He will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with somebody else. Hear, hear God's heart here. God has not called me to be the best pastor in the United States. And somebody says, you're doing pretty good then, Joe. God hasn't called me to be the best pastor in South Carolina or North Charleston or on Dorchester Road. God's just called me the best pastor to be the best pastor that I can be with the gifts and the talents and the disabilities and the struggles that he has allowed to come into my life. God has not called you as much as the world tries to tell you this, God's not called you to be the best at anything except the best you. The best masterpiece that he made you the best workmanship out of the experiences and the gifts and the talents and the challenges and the disabilities that he's allowed to come into your life. You're not going to be judged on the things that you have not be given, been given. You're only going to be judged on that which God has given to you. So never compare yourself. Jesus says a second way to eradicate envy in this parable he shows us is if I will celebrate God's goodness to others. See, there's kind of this, you know, you shouldn't do this. Don't compare yourself. And then there's this thing you should do. You should celebrate God's goodness to others. God's generosity to others. When you see God's blessing on somebody else's life, do you spend more time thinking, why couldn't that be me? Or, God, that is so great that you're blessing them. The Bible tells us this. Most of you probably have heard this verse sometimes. We're, we use it a lot at funerals. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you find the second half of that a whole lot easier to do than the first half? It's just, it's, it's just kind of easy for us to step into somebody's sorrow, but not into their celebrations, unless we're getting to celebrate our win too. You know, it's not something that we, we move towards. Most of us find that second half easier to come. We don't handle the success of others. In fact, rather than doing what the scripture says to rejoice with them, most often... Where envy exists, we resent them. We don't rejoice with them. We wish it had not happened to them. We wish it had happened to us. Did you know that there are people who even have envy fantasies? You know, this idea that we think about what it would be like if they didn't and I did. Envy, envy fantasies. You, you see the lie here? We, we, Satan has, has lied to us, friends. And here's what the, the lie centers in. We don't think there's enough grace to go around. We don't think that God is really good. That he's, he's, he's got enough grace and goodness so that he can bless everybody. Did you notice in the parable, instead of rejoicing at the generosity of the owner to those who had only worked an hour, they were angry. 
The Bible says they protested. Look at this uh, again. It says, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed uh, they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. You do that? When you see somebody else getting something you didn't get, do you protest? Do you, do you, do, do you complain? Do you grumble? Why didn't I get that? How come they got that? I love the owner's answer. Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Friends, here, here's the, one of the reasons envy is so insidious is because it happens really close to you relationally. It happens mostly with your peers. Most of our envy is aimed at our peers. Dads are envious of other dads. Moms envious of other moms. Kids envious of other kids. Doctors envious of other doctors. Salesmen envious of other salesmen. Pastors envious of other pastors. It, it is insidious. It wrecks relationships. It devalues others. It destroys. It's hidden but its destruction is not. It robs you of joy. But if you can learn the secret of celebrating the success of others, one of the things you can do is you can cut the head off of envy. If you can learn that, and I, I want to challenge you to, to make celebrating when good things happen to others a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline is something that you cannot currently do just because you want to, from, just from, from effort. It is unnatural. You have to work at it. So you need to practice. And that's what a spiritual discipline is. It's practicing so that you can begin to do naturally so that it would come second nature to you. And so here's the challenge. Start a list looking around you, where you work, where you go to school, in your neighborhood. Look for people's success. And then you go celebrate with them. Send them a, a card celebrating them. So just celebrate what God is doing in them. The blessing, they, they get a new car. Go celebrate that. You know, that you, see, you see a blessing come, go, go celebrate that. We need to celebrate the goodness of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 tells us this. Love is patient, and love is kind, and love does not envy. One of the most unloving things that we can do to somebody else is aim envy at them. Third thing that Jesus shows us to eradicate envy is I eradicate envy as I grow in gratitude. Now, I hope you're seeing all of these are, are processes. It's, it's not something you can do, you know, you can think and it's done. You've got to engage these. But this is, this is as I grow in gratitude. And I need to be grateful for what I have. Grateful. But what happens so often is we, we're too regretful to be grateful we're, we're complaining like the workers did, complaining about what others have. And we need to remember that everything, everything we have in this life is a gift. Everything. Y'all look like your brains need oxygen. I want everybody to take a really deep breath with me right now. You ready? One, two, three. Let it out. That air was a gift. The lungs you breathed with, those were a gift. The oxygen that hit those red blood cells, those are gifts. All, all of those are incredible gifts from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing you already have all you need. You already have more access to God than you can handle. You have everything you need. Friends, please, please capture this. We, you and me, we in this room have far more than we deserve. If you have Jesus, you have far more than you deserve. If you have clothes on your back, far more than you deserve. 
if you have a way to get home, if you have a home to go to, if you're going to have something for lunch, if you have some friends, if you have a bed in that home to sleep in with a roof over your head, more than we deserve, more than millions, hundreds of millions of people on this planet already have. See, here's what envy does. Envy always asks the question, why them? Why, why did they do better than me? Why did they get that? Gratitude always asks the question, why me? God, why did I get this blessing? Why do I get to live in a nation where I am not persecuted and imprisoned for my faith? Why do I have immediate access to clean drinking water? And at my house, I can reach over and get it hot. And I can reach this way and get it frozen. What do I have to complain about? You know, we envy ask, why them? Gratitude says, why me? Why, why do I have freedoms? Why do I have choices? Why do I get to live where I live? It asks, why me? Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says this, it is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Another word for this is contentment. And you know what the Apostle Paul said he had to do with contentment? Paul said, I had to learn to be content. Contentment is unnatural. When you get here as a baby, the only time a baby is completely content is when its stomach's full, its behind is clean, and it's getting unlimited attention from you. Sadly, that sounds like most adults I know. Some days me. You know? It's just the truth. We, we, we don't have this contentment. But here's what growth does. When we grow in gratitude, see, that's maturity. That, that, that's spiritual maturity. Maturity is learning how to be content even when everything's not going your way. Which we, leads to the last thing that Jesus shows us. And that is, if I want to eradicate envy... I have to trust God when life seems unfair. I have to trust God when life seems unfair. When life appears to be unfair, I need to really pour my trust towards God. Did you notice what happened with the workers in the parable? They thought they were treated, being treated unfairly. And so they immediately mistrusted the goodness of the owner. A clear sign really clear sign that envy has taken root somewhere in your heart is that constantly either coming to your mind or coming out your mouth is the phrase, it's not fair. It's not fair. Envy's taken root somewhere if you're saying over and over, it's not fair. And what you're really saying is, God, you blew it. God, I work as hard as they did. I put in as many hours. How come I didn't get the promotion? It's not fair. The workers felt like they were not being treated fairly. Look at verse 12. They said, those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Remember the owner's reply? Friends, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to this, to work all day for a usual wage? Take your money, go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to with my own money? Is, is it wrong? You know, we looked a few weeks back, we looked at the, um, the encounter Jesus had with the apostle Peter beside the Sea of Galilee. And they're walking along and, you know, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And yes, Lord, I know you love you. At some point, remember, Peter looks back at John and he, he says, well, well, what about him? What about that guy? Do you remember Jesus' response? You ought, to remember, you ought to write these words down somewhere and look at them regularly. Jesus said to John, what is that to you? 
so I can help you remember it. It's just witty, W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? And we need to hear Jesus saying that to us every time we start moving towards envy. What, what is that to you? See, envy is actually arguing with God, fighting with God. God, you blew it. You, you didn't do it right. God, if you really loved me, I'd have gotten that. God, if you really loved me, you'd have made me different. You'd have made me more like somebody else. And see, the real bottom line of envy is we're not trusting God. We're not trusting that he's good. We're not trusting that he's more interested in our best interests than we are. But God, God is. We don't believe that he knows what's best for us. And below that lack of trust is we have forgotten how much God loves us. How much he loves us. See, envy is the symptom. Doubting God's love, that's the disease. That's the real disease. And we always, always, always get in trouble when we doubt the good love of our Father. It began in the garden. It just began in the garden. They doubted. See, Jesus brought this parable to a close with one great thought. Look at it with me again. Verse 16. So those who are last now will be first, then... And those who are first will be last. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you must trust that God loves you. You must trust that he is really working all things, all things together for your good into eternity. He's doing all of that. That one day in eternity, on judgment day, there's going to be what you see in verse 16. There's going to be this unbelievable reversal. And some of the people that you have a tendency to envy are going to be at the back of the line, and God is going to move you up to the front of the line. And so Jesus is saying, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life envying others. You're killing yourself for no reason. And here's the other thing that Jesus is saying. You are denying the gospel. You're denying the truth of the gospel. You're denying the good news of all that I've already done for you on cross. You're denying that. You're denying all the promises that I have made for your future. You're actually denying the great, unmeasurable love that God has for you. So Jesus is saying to all of us today, let my gospel... Let my love displayed for you on the cross begin that work of eradicating envy from your hearts and souls so that you will get to step into that beautiful, beautiful masterpiece that you already are in the sight of God and live in it. Let's pray. Father, we come in this moment. We, we, we come, Lord. We all come saying that there are places where envy has seeped into our souls. And when we think about what your word says about us, what those beautiful children sang about, what your word tells us clearly, that we are your masterpiece. We are your divine workmanship, that you are the great master artist, and that who you made us to be, each of us, unique in our own way, is the most beautiful thing to you. It's the thing on which we'll be judged by you. It's the thing that which we're called into for your glory and for our own goodness. And so we come back to that, Lord. We come in this moment repenting, just choosing to say, I don't want envy in my heart anymore. So today I'm putting envy on notice, God. By your grace, I'm giving envy an eviction notice. By your grace, God. I can't do it by myself. But Lord, I want to. I, I, I'm choosing this day that what I'm going to do, oh God, 
is I'm going to quit comparing myself. And I'm going to try to understand who you made me uniquely. Look, look at my strengths and my gifting and the, the things I'm passionate about. God, I'm going to do that. The experiences you've given me. I'm going to examine those, God. And God, I'm going to start celebrating the good things you've done for others. And God, when it's difficult, I'm going to, I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm, I'm, I'm moving that way, God. I'm stepping into your kingdom. Jesus, you told us that that parable was about, a, about the kingdom, about life in your kingdom. I want that, Jesus. I'm tired of living in my own little kingdom. It just sucks the life out of me. And so I come. I come repenting, and I come choosing your ways, oh God. Give me the strength. I'm trusting that there's enough grace for even somebody like me. Maybe you're here today, and for the very first time, you've come to understand because the Holy Spirit was speaking into your heart, not because of me, but because the Holy Spirit was speaking. You've come to understand that God loves you infinitely, and God knew you before you were born, that He designed you, that He created you, and that He wants to empower you by putting the Holy Spirit in you if you would just trust his son Jesus. Trust what Jesus said about things like envy and all kinds of things in this life, that he has a better plan. Trust that what Jesus did on the cross for you settled it. Him saying, I love you. He gave his life for you. And maybe right now what you need to do is say, Jesus, I want that. I want to step into the beauty of the masterpiece that you have planned me to be. And I've tried doing it without you, but Jesus, I come. I come to you. And I want that to be my testimony. I want that to be my testimony, oh, oh God. Because I believe that you're going to finish what you've started. I believe that right now, God, if I'm, if I'm still here, oh God, you're not done with me. I believe, dear God, that because there is this masterpiece for me to see that, oh God, there are greater things to come. I believe that. I'm trusting in it now. I love you, so I come. I want that to be my testimony today, God. So I bring myself to worship you now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.